All right. Notice what it says in Genesis chapter 5 in verse 21. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And Enoch is a very fascinating character just because of the fact he's one of only two people who never died. I can still remember as a little boy living in Spring Valley, uh, my dad telling this story about Enoch. And it just, as a little kid, it just immediately intrigued me thinking about this guy in the pre-flood world living 365 years and then just not dying and going to heaven. That just, that caught my attention as a little kid. And I've always been fascinated uh, with Enoch since I was a little kid. And I remember when I was a teenager, I went to the Walden Bookstore in the Peru Mall, and they had a religious section there. And I remember seeing a book that they had called Lost Books of the Bible. And I remember thinking, awesome. You know, I thought, that sounds so cool. And I'm, I remember uh, I, I went and I bought that book. And I didn't ask my dad, I didn't talk to my dad about anything, it was you know, pretty innocent, just thinking it was going to be good. And it didn't have the book of Enoch in it, but I remember it had some of these books from, uh, that were supposed, like the book of Jubilees, and um, I think of the Apocalypse of Moses, which is stuff from this time. And I remember I started reading that stuff, and I'm just like, this is not Bible. <laughs> I, this, I, just, I immediately knew what I was reading was not Bible. But then... Later, I heard about the book of Enoch that, you know, was supposed to, you know, some years later. And I remember reading the book of Enoch. And sure enough, right there in chapter one is that uh, verse that Jude refers to, you know, about the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. But then I started reading that book and just immediately knew I was not reading scriptures. But because of the fact that that so little is said about Enoch. The Bible says very little about this guy. And because of the fact that such a fascinating thing happened with him, obviously anyone is intrigued by that, but it also makes it easy for storytellers, false prophets, to just come along and just to tell you, hey, I can fill in the blanks for you. And we all wanted those blanks filled in. And so a lot of weird stuff is taught about Enoch, and we got to watch out for that. We don't want to get caught up in that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, the book of Enoch, too, um, I, without a doubt, it's a completely fraudulent book. And, if you, and one thing I've been doing a lot in the last year or so is just looking into a lot of different traditions and, uh, or a, a lot of beliefs, I guess you could say, that's in Christianity, that's in Judaism, that is based on tradition. And when you see the way these people think, come to the conclusions, I mean, the fact that anybody tries to give these books any credibility just shows a very high level of ignorance on a lot of levels and in a, in a lot of different areas. And I don't want to get too sidetracked into that. But what I want to do today is I do want to talk about lessons from Enoch's walk with God. What we see, pretty much all we see about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 is that he walked with God. And it doesn't tell us what that means. It doesn't tell us what that looked like. It doesn't tell us how he did it. It just tells us that he walked with God and he was not for God took him. 
That's all that we see about him from Genesis. But what I want to do, I want us to learn some lessons from Enoch's walk with God based not on the book of Enoch, not based on the legends of Enoch, not based on the gospel of Nicodemus that Enoch is mentioned in or some of the book of Jash or some of these other books. No, based on what the Bible actually tells us. I think there's some really important lessons that we can learn from this guy. And so Elijah, he's the one other guy in the Bible who never died. But the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about Elijah. You know, when you look at his life, you can kind of see why he was special. I mean, you can see the miracles he did. We can see him preaching. We see him having the contest with the prophets of Baal. I mean, you see a lot about Elijah in the Bible. So when you look at him, you know, we could all have a lot of probably pretty good guesses of why Elijah never died. We also know Elijah is going to come back one of these days. We know he's going to be one of the two witnesses that we see in the book of Revelation. But Enoch, we don't see that. Uh, with him uh, we and and i don't even think there's i would say there's not strong evidence that he's going to be one of the two witnesses a lot of people believe he will be uh, but i think the argument for that is pretty weak but uh, but either way uh, I, I guess he could be I, I still think it's moses but uh, but not going to get into that and try to prove anything there tonight so we're going to try to stick with what the bible uh, actually says but in jude one fourteen says in Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So while uh, Jude mentions Enoch preaching something, the Old Testament doesn't even record that for us. All the Old Testament tells us about is that he walked with God, but we can learn from the New Testament that he was a preacher, that he was a preacher of righteousness, that he preached against sin, that he talked about judgment. But if all that Genesis tells us about him is that he never died and that he walked with God, then, you know, walking God with God must be a pretty important thing. And without a doubt, it is an important thing. And obviously, when, they, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis and said he walked with God, there was a meaning for that, that people would have understood, and I believe it's something that we ought to do. And I want to preach tonight on this subject of walking with God, because it is, that's, that's one of those terms, that it's one, it's one of those spiritual things that we can just say, that man has a walk with God. Okay. And, but a lot of times we hear those things, and if I ask you, who wants to have a walk with God? Who wants to walk with God? Well, yeah, I want to walk with God. Well, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? How do we do that? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I do think that uh, if we look at some of these things that we see about Enoch in the Bible, I think we can kind of figure this out. And I do think we need to make having a walk with God a priority in our life. As a church, we are all claiming to be saved believers. We are claiming to be followers of Christ, trying to be disciples of Christ. And so I do believe we need to be walking with God. And so what are some things that we can learn about Enoch's walk with God? And so notice, first off, that uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. One thing we can learn about Enoch's walk with God that I think is, is important is that, one, God wants to walk with man, and God still can walk with man. In Genesis 3 and verse 7 there's some things that people often say that are, that are true, but they kind of maybe take some things a little too far 
when it comes to certain things about uh, walking with God. But in Genesis 3, 7, it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. This is after they ate the fruit. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat. So notice that Adam, and, at, at one time, and people talk about this rightfully, God used to be able to walk with man in the Garden of Eden. But then, because of man's sin, God ended up banishing man from the Garden of Eden, and they no longer were able to be in the presence of God like they were before. And that's, that's partially true. That's partially true because of their sin, because of the fall of man, they were no longer able to walk with God physically. Okay? Physically, they were not able to. Today, we cannot physically walk with God. We cannot see God in the flesh like they did before. But un- notice, even though God banished man from the Garden of Eden and that there had to be a physical separation, God immediately provided a way for man to still be able to have access to Him. Because notice, and we're not going to go read through it all. I know you're all familiar with this. But what happened after God confronted Adam and Eve about their sin? We see, one, God immediately gave a promise of a Messiah, didn't He, that would bruise the head of Satan. And we all under, we know, too, that in the end, because of what Jesus did, He is going to be able, He is going to restore that fellowship like we had before. One of these days, the tabernacle of God is going to be with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His God, and God will wipe away tears from all eyes. One of these days, that physical fellowship with God is going to be restored. One of these days, these eyes, these eyes, after they're made new, are going to be able to see the Lord. And, and this, this body, after it has been resurrected and it has been glorified, it's going to be able to dwell with the Lord. We're going to be able to physically walk with God again. But understand, when God gave them that promise of a Messiah, in Genesis 3.15, He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Understand, that because God gave the promise of a Messiah, that made a way for a spiritual restoration to take place immediately. And I believe that in the Old Testament, they got saved just like you and I do. I believe they got saved on credit. They received salvation. I believe they had eternal security by, by believing on the promise of the Messiah. We see that God immediately, immediately after they are confronted about their sin, God provided a way to cover man's nakedness and shame so they wouldn't have to remain in hiding. It says in Genesis 3.21, And at, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Because remember what Adam and Eve did when God showed up in the garden? They hid because they were naked. They were ashamed because they, they realized that they were sinful and they were ashamed to be in the presence of God. But we see that I believe when God made him those coats of skin, 
God did that too so they wouldn't have to be in shame. And I believe that was a picture of salvation. I believe that was a picture of Jesus Christ covering our sins and covering our spiritual nakedness. Without a doubt, everybody's always preached this, that what, we're, what we see there take place in the garden is a picture of salvation. And God did all those things to them immediately because even though they were physically going to have to be banished from the garden, God still wanted to have a relationship with them and understand God wants to walk with us today. But before God can walk with us, we have to be saved. And when we, and we get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We get saved by because of what Jesus did on the cross and that blood of Christ, it cleanses us from our sins. It covers us from, of our shame and our guilt and our spiritual nakedness. And we can immediately have fellowship with God. And so the thing is, when we read the, in Genesis chapter 5 about Enoch and we see him walking with God, understand, I don't think this was just a, you know, a, a super unique thing that took place of someone walking with God. I believe God always wanted to walk with people. I think Enoch was just special in the fact that he really took his walk serious and took it to another level. And, and I'm going to show you too, I, like I said, I don't believe we're going to go walk with God to the point he's just going to take us to heaven before everybody else. But folks, there's no excuse for us to not walk with God like other people did. Okay? God doesn't play favorites when it comes to this thing. But just understand... From look, read, just from reading what the Bible tells us about Enoch's walk with God, God wasn't waiting for the Messiah to come and pay for sins before he was going to start walking with man. We see God doing it in chapter 5 with someone like Enoch. God has always wanted to walk with man, and God wants to walk with us. I, 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 I know that for a fact. God wants to walk with us. And so... Um, so what you know we have absolutely no reason to think that what God did with Enoch is something he doesn't want to do with us so and I think too you know while we can only speculate on how much they knew in the in the before the flood and during this time I do think it's safe to say in Enoch's day they knew a lot more than we think and uh you know just before church he was asking about uh, you know, how did Abe, Cain and Abel know to do sacrifices? And, and the Bible does not record when God gave them those instructions. It doesn't. What dispensationalism has done is dispensationalism has created this thinking where as we read things in the Bible, that was like how God revealed those things throughout time. But there are tons, there's tons of evidence that that is not the case. For example, we see clean and unclean animals in Noah's ark. They're taking seven of the clean. What did that mean? God hadn't given the laws about clean and unclean animals yet. Obviously, he had. Just because we see God specifically giving some of those instructions to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt doesn't mean he hadn't told people before. And I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but there's a lot of stuff, a lot of evidence of that that we see and I probably need to uh, preach a whole message just on that because there's a lot of interesting things I've learned recently about that. But uh, e either way you look at it, I think they knew a lot more than we give them credit for during that time. Enoch is walking with God and that meant something. And he was very, without a doubt, was very close to God and knew quite a bit. But what made Enoch special 
Another thing we can learn, it was simply the fact that he truly wanted to walk with God. And I'm going to tell you right now, a Bible reason why Enoch had such a special walk with God, it was because he really wanted it. Now, how do I know that? Well, deduction, my dear Watson. And here, here's where we can see it. In Hebrews chapter 11. There's not a lot about Enoch in the Bible. In, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So what did he do to please God? Well, right here in verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Anybody want to try to tell me that Enoch did not have faith? It was something besides faith that pleased God. Now, obviously, he was a man of great faith. The Bible just tells us he pleased God and you can't please God without faith. So Enoch had a lot of faith. Now, folks, if you don't have a lot of faith, guess whose fault that is? It's not God's fault. We're not Calvinists. We don't believe that God just gives us faith. Hey, listen, God, God does give us reasons to have faith, but some people choose to ignore those things. Some people choose to doubt. Some people choose to focus on the negative. But then there's others who they do. They want to know God. They want to get close to God. They want to learn more about God. And they do. By faith, they hang on to everything God says. They hang on to everything God gives them. And folks, we have been given so much more than guys like Enoch. There is no reason for us to not have faith. No, no, no good reason, I should say. But notice, he says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That diligently seek him. You know, there's a lot of people seeking him, but not diligently. Eh, I read my Bible once. You're going to have to read it more than that. I went to church once. I prayed a couple times. You know, I made an, I made an attempt. Hey, you've got to be diligent on these things. He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That tells me if he, if God, all God wants to do to give us rewards, it doesn't even say if you, if you succeed in finding him, it just says if you diligently seek him, he'll reward you. So I do, I believe people who are diligently seeking to find the Lord will find him. You say, what, and your people always bring up people in other countries and people in Muslim countries and all that. If people will diligently seek the Lord, I believe God will reward them and God will help them find them. I, and folks, I have had too many encounters with people out soul winning that I mean were just, they were ready to get saved before I showed up at the door. I mean, how many times have you been there where it's like, we were just talking about this. We've just been reading our Bible. I talked to a young lady one day, a Catholic girl. She's like, I was just talking with my, my grandma about this. We were just discussing this, trying to figure it out. And you know what? They were sincere. They were in the wrong place. She grew up in the wrong religion, but she had heard enough that she got curious about God. She started seeking Him. And guess what happened? A soul winner happens to show up at her house. That happens all the time. Was it you, Brother Chris, was meeting in Prophetstown the other day? And that guy was just waiting for somebody to show up and tell him how to go to heaven. You know, and, and you know what that was? That was God rewarding someone who was diligently seeking Him. But you know why a lot of people aren't getting saved? They're not looking for God. 
Listen, Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh in the world. But the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People who don't get saved, it is because they weren't looking. They, weren't, they, they didn't want it. They rejected it. But people, if they are, if the, you know, because people too, they're like, Christian, I talked to a lady last week and she's just thinking, I just, I, I can't accept this Christianity because what about all these other people that are sincere in their beliefs too? Folks, if they were actually sincere, then you know what? God would reward them and they would find Jesus. But the problem is these God's shining a light on them. He's showing them Jesus and they're saying, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm looking for. That's, that's what it is. So don't ever believe that lie. Don't, don't ever believe that lie. And I'm telling you, sincere people will find the truth. If there's somebody in darkest Africa who is diligently seeking the Lord, God will reward him. God will help him. And, but folks, don't fall for this stuff people are teaching too. This Billy Graham stuff that, you know, that people can get saved without Christ. That is impossible. When I say God will reward them, God will reward them by giving them more light, by showing them Jesus Christ. Nobody's getting to heaven without Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to do that. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will. But understand, God will reward them with the soul winner. God will reward them with the missionary, with, some, with, the, with the word of God, with whatever they need to show them what they need to know about the gospel. God will reward them with that if they will diligently seek him and so folks without a doubt enoch even though the bible does not explicitly detail this when the bible's talking about enoch and it talks about his faith and then it says without faith is impossible to please him god is a reward of them that diligently seek him it is very easy to assume that enoch walked with god the way he did because he really wanted to so you know what that tells me if we're not having a close walk with god it's just because we don't want it that bad that's all there is to it we just need to admit that sometimes that you know what maybe my spiritual life is struggling because i'm not i don't want a spiritual life that much i kind of like my carnality you know i kind of like the things that god doesn't like that's that's causing our relationship to struggle what we need to do is just get hungry for the things of God. Get hungry for that walk with God. And I'm telling you, God's ready to walk with you. God wants to walk with you. We don't ever want to get this attitude, oh, this other person's special. They've got something going for them, and that's why they have a connection with God. Any of us can have a connection with God. Any of, any of us can have a walk with God in a special way. It's just we don't really want to. James 4.4 4 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. I want to draw an eye to God. I don't want to cleanse my hands. No, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, that's it right there. Double-minded. Yeah, I want to have a walk with God, but I also like my sin too. Well, you know what? You've got to just, you've got to take your pick and I, you know, you're better off picking God and just go for it. Have that walk with God. You, know, you want to know why most of us don't have a powerful prayer life? Because we don't want it enough. We really don't. We just don't want it enough. And we need to want these things. And so God does not reject people who come to Him. Has there ever been somebody, maybe you wanted to be close to Him and you just couldn't get close to Him? You know, and there's a lot of people that are that way with celebrities. You know, they're always, you got the celebrity chasers that are out there that would love nothing more than to have some kind of connection with a celebrity. 
You know, and I mean, people, I mean, remember Jason geeked out the one time because didn't Kyle Rittenhouse like like one of your posts or something or comment? Or... Oh, yeah. He, so Kyle Rittenhouse answered one of Jason's questions one time. And he like was all excited about it, <laughs> you know, because he's famous. <laughs> and and so, uh, you know, it, there's people out there, they get obsessed with these different celebrities and things, but then they just they can't get their attention. <clears throat> well, think about it. You have God who outranks everything, <laughs> the creator of everything. And the truth is, you can get close to him if you want to. In fact, he wants you to get close to him. And, if, and the thing is, too, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been there before where maybe there was somebody famous or you got to meet somebody you always wanted to meet. And they did. They just kind of snubbed you, didn't care about you or whatever. God does not do that. In fact, it says in John 6.37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I've heard stories, I've read articles before about people who like met these famous celebrities and they turned out to be jerks. You know, and that would stink. Somebody that you thought was great, somebody that you idolized, you always wanted to meet, and you met them. And they were just a huge disappointment. How many have ever met somebody that you always wanted to meet and they were a huge disappointment, a huge letdown? I know I've been there before. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen that with preachers before. There's been preachers that I've heard, you know, I've got to meet well-known preachers. I was all excited about meeting them. And then you just meet these guys and they're just like, you know, full of themselves, don't care about you, whatever. And uh, that, that said, I remember my sister she, um, we were at a baseball, a Cubs game one time and one of the Cubs pitchers, he came out and we were trying to get autographs. And instead of signing our things, he had these baseball cards of himself that he was signing and giving to everybody. And then on the back of it, it had like a plan of salvation on it. And so he was, he was a Christian. And so my, you know, we thought that was really cool. And I remember my sister wrote him a letter and uh, sent it to him. And then a while later, they went to a Cubs game where you could go down on the field and meet some of the players and everything. And they went and met him. And they went and were talking to him. And then my sister was like, you probably don't remember me, but I wrote you a letter a while back. She said some stuff about it. And he just said, Christy? And she was just like, wow. I mean, she just went nuts over that. She just thought it was like, he knows who I am. You know, and just thought it was a great thing. And isn't it pathetic how we get that way about people because they're famous? And then you have God. Eh. You know what? And that sounds so awful, but you know, it's so easy to understand why we're that way. And you know why we're that way? Because we're carnal. Because we get obsessed with fleshly things. And folks, if we were actually interested in spiritual things, we would. We would be excited over the fact that God's hearing our prayers. That God is listening to us, that God walks with us, but we're not, we're not being spiritual like we're supposed to because I'm afraid we're just too spoiled. We have too much good, physically speaking, on this earth and we don't have a hunger for things of God. But Enoch, without a doubt, had a hunger for the things of God and God rewarded it. And while we do not know a lot of the details of his walk and what that looked like, we can definitely assume from what the Bible says, he was diligently seeking God. This was a guy who wanted to know God, was diligently seeking him, 
And you know what? God, he got to the point where God said, you know what, Enoch? How about I just give you a really early look at everything? And I'm going to even, I'm going to let you bypass death. That's pretty cool. You know, you know what that tells me? God wants to show us things. God wants to reveal himself to us. But if we're not seeing anything, it's because we're just not looking. We're not that interested in these things. And so, God does not reject people. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If somebody has a closer relationship with God, it's not because God likes them better than you. It's because they like God better than you do. Don't let them people get away with that. You like God better than them. That's what you need to do. But you know, here's the thing too. You think about, you think about the worst reprobate you know out there. Think about the biggest pile of garbage that's out there. Do you know even anyone who is a reprobate is somebody who God wanted at one time? Think, think about it. You think a, a confirmed bona fide reprobate. Barack Obama, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, whatever. God wanted them at one time. You can't become a reprobate without rejecting God. That means you, you can't reject God unless God approaches you, unless God comes to you. So every single one of them, God wanted them. God loved them. God reached out to them. And folks, they didn't just reject him once. You know, you re- it's, it's multiple rejections. God was going after them at one time. Think, you name them, God was, going, God was going after Michael Jackson at one time. God was going after Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy at one time. God went after them. And they, but they rejected him. God wants to have a relationship with people. God died for the sins, or Jesus died for the sins of people. And so, you know, people often say God doesn't play favorites. But at the same time, too, you know, that, that's not completely true. Because think about this. I'm going to hit several verses here. You don't have to turn to them. John 19.26 says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. The disciple whom he loved. Who's that? Didn't he love all of his disciples? Yeah, but there was one that he really loved. That we call the beloved disciple. It says in John 22, Then she runneth out and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John 21.7 Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was Lord, he girded his fish's coat, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Uh, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. So, did Jesus love Peter? But, folks, who was the disciple whom Jesus loved? It was John. Now, you say, why? What made John, so special. Well, notice on John 21, 20, after it says, you see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is he to betray thee? You want to know why Jesus was so close to John? Because John was so close to Jesus. John, he laid on his breast. John was somebody who always wanted to be close to Jesus. And so Jesus was close to him. You know why he wasn't as close to Peter and James and the other disciples? Because they didn't want it as much. It's very clear in the Bible, the people who were closest to Jesus were the people who wanted to be. Jesus wants to be close with everybody, so he did have a beloved disciple, a disciple whom he loved. With, I mean, and think about this too. Why was Jesus so nice to the rotten people 
and so mean, seemingly, to the religious people. But Luke 7 tells us in verse 44, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You know, you know why Jesus cared for this woman so much? Because she loved so much. And notice, even though her sins were great, that had no bearing at all on whether or not Jesus loved her. Jesus loved her, loved her because she loved him so much. And, but Jesus said, he told him, he said, you know what? You don't treat me this way because I haven't forgiven you as much. But this woman had a great deal of love. And you know what? Jesus accepted her. Jesus is spending more time with her to the point where these religious people are like, you know what? Why is he spending time with this woman? She's crummy. We're more spiritual. He should be wanting to spend time with us because we're more spiritual. You know what? It didn't matter. Jesus wasn't comparing sins. Jesus comparing love. And this woman had a great love and that caused Jesus to be close to her. There was a reason Jesus was so close to people like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. What was it about them? These people, they loved Jesus. They were close to Him. If you are not close to Jesus, like you might, if, if, if you look at anyone out there and you are envying their relationship they have with God, just understand you could have it if you wanted it. That's the only difference. They want it because they love. If you aren't close to Jesus, it's, be, it's not because you have too much sin in your past. It's because you don't want to be close to them. In fact, if you have a lot of sin in your past, you should understand what Jesus has done for you, which should cause you to love him more, which should cause you to be even closer to him. Because your sin, your past sins are not a factor. And, you know, we might be that way sometimes. We might get nervous as people being around riffraff and people with different pasts and things. We sometimes can be kind of snobbish and have a tough time getting over things, and that's wrong. But understand, Jesus is not like that because he full well knows better than anybody in the universe that he paid for every one of your sins, that his blood has cleansed you from every one of your sins, and he's not thinking about that at all. But you, if you can get a hold of that and understand that, that's going to cause you to love him and that desire you have to love him and be with him, it's just going to make him that much closer to you. So again, if, you don't, if you're not close to Jesus, it's because you don't want to be. So another thing that we can, uh, we learn about Enoch and what made him special, we know based on Hebrews eleven six that it was his faith. It says right after it tells us Enoch walked with God, he had this testimony that he pleased God. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And so, I know we all understand that we are saved by faith and nothing can change that. But we also need to understand that in order to walk with God, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to have a walk with God. That's the first step in having a walk with God. But in order to have a walk with God, you also need to live by faith 
And so we can definitely assume, based on these scriptures, that Enoch was somebody who not only was saved by faith, but also lived by faith. And he, or Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And that one verse is quoted three times in the New Testament in Romans 1.17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So understand, if you aren't walking with God... You know what it is? It's because you're flirting or walking with other gods. That's that's all there is to it. Turn over to Deuteronomy 8.18. So Enoch was somebody, said he, he didn't just get saved, but he continued seeking after God. You know, the Apostle Paul, who everybody always says is probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. What do we see Paul say? That I may know him. Paul had a desire to know him. And God, he wanted to know him. God, he, want, he wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted to be like him. Paul, without a doubt, had a strong desire to be like Christ. And you know what? Let me tell you, if you, if you have a desire to be like Christ, you're probably going to be like Christ, meaning you're probably going to suffer. And who, who suffered more than the Apostle Paul? Probably only Jesus. And, he's, and you know why he probably suffered the most? Because he succeeded in being the most like Jesus. But he was, okay. He, he was okay with that because that was what he wanted. He, Paul had a walk with God. Enoch also had a walk with God. But Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods. Notice that. If you forget God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, ye shall surely perish in the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face. So shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And listen, God did not take Enoch to heaven early just because he was saved. He, I believe he took him to early, heaven early because he was obedient. Because not only did he get saved by faith, but the just, the just, the saved shall live by faith. He also lived by faith as well. And Enoch did not forget God. As Enoch diligently sought God, he walked with God. But no, what did they warn in Deuteronomy 8? Don't forget the Lord and walk with other gods. And people say, I would never walk with other gods. Well, you know what? You will if you forget the Lord. And it is easy to forget the Lord. And, you know, and I don't think that means necessarily, and I don't think as, a, as Americans today that we're going to go serve Baal or Moloch or Baphomet. They're putting his statue up in places. I don't think, I don't think any of us are probably going to be likely to do that. But, you know, we could go focusing our attention, seeking after the almighty dollar, Seeking after entertainment, the pleasures of this world. You know, we can get distracted from walking with God and being obedient, being where we're supposed to be, doing the work we're supposed to do, to just fulfilling the desires of our flesh. And let me tell you, a lot of saved people get caught up in that. A lot of saved people get obsessed 
with satisfying their flesh and just understand that can be a God as well. And if you're doing that, you're not walking with God. You're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. And, you know, you're not going to be rewarded for that. And your, your spiritual life is going to greatly sacrifice as, as, as a result of that. And understand, Enoch, he was obedient, and Enoch clearly didn't get distracted by other gods. He kept his focus on God Almighty, and God rewarded him. And understand, it's easy to get distracted. And I'm sure they had, I don't know what the distractions looked like in that day, but folks, we've got a million things to distract us today. Some of us, we, we can't have a walk with God because we're too connected to our cell phones. We're too busy thinking about what the news is saying. We're listening you know, to the radio, the internet. We've got all these things distracting us from the things of God. And we don't know how to unplug. We don't know how to just get alone with God and get a hold, with, a hold of God and walk with God. We've got too many distractions. But you know what? We need to be willing to sacrifice some things. And I believe Enoch did that. And so we just need to admit we often get sidetracked and turn our focus to the things of the flesh. And so where I just want to briefly, though, to kind of close this out, you know, while we've still been kind of talking in a very general way, uh, I do think we need to talk about what it looks like today to walk with God. What does that look like today? How can I know I am having a walk with God or if someone is having a walk with God. Well, those who walk with God, first off, they're going to be where God is. Okay? First, you know, where is God? You say, well, God is everywhere. Okay, but, and I get that. God is, you know, God is, you know, omnipresent. I, I understand that. But there are places where God is working. There are places where God has, has promised me. For example, we talked about this morning where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. I believe God is in the assembling. God has called us as believers not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. God has, God is, I believe God is at least he's supposed to be in our church services. His presence is supposed to be here. I believe if you want to have a walk with God, you need to be where God's at. And let me tell you, if you're hanging out in the bowling alley on, su on Sunday morning or Sunday night, instead of being in the house of God, you're not walking with God. Walking with God is being where He is at. It's being right in the center of His will. And we understand that th this, is, this is where God's at. And I want to be where God's at. I believe you know, God is in. When, when, remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And notice, we'll, we'll bring that up. Like, God's with me everywhere. But wait a minute. He said that when commissioning them to go and give the gospel to everyone. And you know what he told them? He's saying that in this commission, in this work, in that work that I am giving you, that I am putting you 12 in charge of, in spreading the gospel, starting churches, establishing churches all over the world, I will be with you in that. And so understand, when you are soul winning, when you are active in fulfilling the Great Commission, God, that's, God's there. God's there. When it's soul winning time, God's there. 
A lot of people, whether or not they're going to go soul winning, a lot of times depends on who's going. And you do. You have people, oh, I don't want to go soul winning. My church is only a couple people to go. Well, you should really only be worried about one. God. And God's in on it. God is in on the soul winning program in every church. God is in on the discipling of believers. God's in on all that stuff. God is in the work of the church. And when something's going on, you know what? If we want to be where God's at, that's it. That's it. God is in the church service. God is in the work and the ministry of the church. God is in the soul winning. And it's amazing how many people, they sit at home, watch sermons on the internet. Just, they don't, they're not involved in a church. And, you know, but they're the first one. It doesn't matter where we're at. God's everywhere. No, no. Listen, you are not gathered together in his name when it's just your family watching preaching online. No, you need to get in the congregation. You need to get in the assembly. You need to get under the authority. Listen, okay, people just watching online, where, where's the authority in their life? Who's, who's holding them accountable for anything? Who's telling, you know, who's, who's checking up on them? Who are they edifying by these things? You know how many things you're not doing? I'm thankful for online preaching. I like watching other sermons online. I appreciate people who watch the, the preaching here online. You know, I, I hope it can be a help and encouragement to them. But at the end of the day, you're lacking a ton of things that that's all you get. You need to be a part of that. God is there. And I'm sorry. God is not in your ball at your ball games during preaching time during church time. God's not in that. When you take your vacations and you decide, eh, we're going to take a vacation from church too, God's not in on that. Listen, I, I believe God's a lot of, in a lot of he, God's in all the good churches all over on Sunday. And if I'm traveling, you know what? I'm going to go hang out where God's hanging out during that time. And again, we're allowed to do fun stuff other times of the week, and I'm not saying God's not with you, but again. Sunday's a special time. Lord's Day is a special time. The assembling is a special thing, and God's there. And there's a lot more things like that we could talk about, but uh, we're, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But we know our world is it's full of celebrity chasers. And do you know what's even in the Christian world? There are people out there who pay very close attention to the social media and itineraries of certain people. And, you know, they, they, and they do, they show up at all their events. I've known a lot of Christians, they like, they follow singers. Singers are big ones. Uh, and, you know, when I was younger, I'll admit, in my teenage days, I used to try to find out where the cathedrals were going to be, the cathedral quartet. And I remember, I remember we were in Arkansas one time, not far from Little Rock, and I remember we heard on the radio they were going to be doing a concert in Little Rock. And I begged my dad to take us to it, and he did. I got to meet the cathedrals, got my picture taken with them, got their autographs. And then uh, later, I remember here, and I don't remember how I found out. I didn't have internet back then. I don't remember how I checked up on that stuff, but I heard they were going to be in Peoria. And we went and saw them there. And, you know, you, you, you chase the pe- famous people around, all that. that. That's pathetic. That's so stinking worldly. But I know people that are that way with preachers, too. There's, there's a camp meeting preacher that I thoroughly enjoy for entertainment reasons. And there's a, there's a, I won't, I won't name this guy, but, um, he, he, he's probably a decent person, but I find him entertaining. But there's a clip that I've seen several times of him preaching in this meeting. And there's this young man sitting behind him that 
uh, I've always noticed because he looked, this young guy sitting behind him, it's kind of a funny clip, the guy's reaction is pretty funny, and he just reminds me of somebody I used to go to school with. So, you know, I, but I've, I've noticed this individual in the background. Well, I've seen several videos, and I've watched several sermons of this guy preaching in different places, and you know who I've seen several times in the audience? That same guy. I always see that guy, and it's like, man, he's everywhere that guy goes. Hey, now, again, if you're going to follow somebody, follow preachers, you know, more than, you know, you know um, athletes and, you know, secular singers and things like that. But it is, it's amazing how obsessed we will get with finding out where these different people are going to be so we can go chase them around, try to get their autographs, try to get our picture taken with them so everybody thinks we're friends with them. But then you have God. You have God of the universe. You have God that gave them the talent that they have that they're probably using on themselves just wanting to have a relationship with us, wanting to walk with us, and we don't care. And let me tell you, if we would get in our Bibles, we could find out where we're most likely to find God. You know a good place you could probably find God sometime? You should try a prayer closet. That's a good place to find God. You know another good place you can often find God? In storms, in trials, in, during difficult times. That, that's where you can often find... Sometimes, usually where you find God is play, it's not the place we, see, we would normally want to go. We want to find God in Disney World is what we're looking for. And you're probably not going to find Him there for sure. And the tr- truth is, if we want to, if we want to walk with Him, we could find out exactly how by reading His Word... And following his steps. Peter, 1 Peter 1, or 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Okay, I like the sound of follow his steps. That sounds pretty good. But what was the example he set? Suffering. Suffering. Well, who wants to do that? You know, you know how many people are there, oh, I used to believe in God, but then I suffered. And so, um, no, that was your chance to get to know God. But you know, that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to go through any trials. I'm tired of people coming along, <clears throat> coming into churches, and as soon as a challenge comes, they're gone. I, I thought you wanted to get to know God. I thought you want, isn't that why you came to this church? You wanted to get to know God? Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be hard. Well, then you didn't read your Bible that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. He said He suffered for us and He left us an example to follow His steps. If we're following His steps, that means we're going to go through the same thing that He went through. But He said, hey, if you follow Me, if you love Me, if you're obedient to Me, you're going to have tribulation. But you know what? As soon as tribulation comes, I'm gone. Folks, you know what you're doing? You're running from God. You're running from God. But here's the thing. He said, but I don't want tribulation. I don't want suffering. Well, I don't really either, but the truth is, God said we can overcome it. He said we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We can have suffering, but we can get through it. He says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So, here's the thing, too. I'm just going to tell you the, you know, the little secret about all of this. Did you know most people who run from the suffering, 
by running away from God, end up suffering anyway, but then without the ability to overcome, without having God with them. You know, we're all going to suffer one way or the other. We're all going to go through tribulation one way or the other. The question is, do you want to do it with God or do you want to do it without God? And un, you know, you, you've seen it. How, I mean, look, look at these little kids around here. Whenever they've done something they're not supposed to, and they always try running from mom and dad. And it's just like, why do they do that? We're going to catch them. And all you're doing is making mom and dad more upset. You know, wouldn't they be better off if they went running to you with a big hug? And, and, and unfortunately, you've got a lot of Christians out there, and they do, man. They frequent churches regularly where as soon as trouble comes, they run away. That is, that is the worst thing you could possibly do. What they need to do, as soon as they see trouble coming, they need to go running to God. Remember Peter, when Peter was walking on the water, he was doing fine until he looked and he saw the storms and the winds and the waves, and then he began to sink. But then you know what he did? He said, Lord, save me. He looked back at Jesus again, and you know what? We see him walking back in the boat. That means he got back on top of that water again. But he had to get his eyes on Christ. And so, some good lessons we can learn from Enoch's walk with God. If we have a church with multiple people walking with God, uh, I believe God's going to really bless this church, and I know He'll bless your life. So I hope you'll do that. So that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for your willingness to have a walk with us. And Lord, I just pray that if this message accomplished anything tonight, it just uh, put a desire uh, that maybe wasn't there before or maybe made it a little greater for everyone in here to walk with you. Without a doubt, you've proven to us through your word that you want to walk with us. You will walk with us. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us, we will uh, not give in to the temptation to get distracted from you, but we will diligently seek after you, knowing that you will give us the reward that you promised. In your name we pray. Amen.